Chapter fourteen of Tom Ossington's Ghost by Richard Marsh. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter fourteen The Cause of the Interruption. What she saw and what they saw spoke eloquently of the engrossed attention with which they had watched the work of destruction being carried on. So absorbed had they been in Bruce Graham's proceedings that actually, without their knowledge, a burglarious entry had been all but effected into the very room in which they were. There was the proof before them. The window had been raised, and the blind and curtains pushed away, and a man's head and shoulders thrust inside. When Ella's exclamation called their attention to the intruder's presence, they stared at him, as well they might, for a moment or two with stupefied amazement. The imprudence of the act seemed almost to surpass the bounds of credibility. He, on his part, met their gaze with a degree of fortitude, not to say assurance, which was more than a little surprising. To the fellow's character his looks bore evidence. The buttoning of his coat up to his chin failed to conceal the fact that his neck was bare, while the crushing of a dilapidated billycock down over his eyes served to throw into clearer relief his unshaven cheeks and hungry-looking eyes. For the space of perhaps thirty seconds they looked at him and he at them in silence. Then Jack moved hastily forward. "'You're a cool hand,' he cried. But Madge caught him by the arm. "'Don't,' she said. "'This is the man who stared through the window.' Jack turned to her, bewildered. "'The man who stared through the window? What on earth do you mean?' "'Don't,' she repeated. "'I think that Mr. Graham knows this man.' The man himself endorsed her supposition. "'Yes, I'm rather inclined to think that Mr. Graham does.' His voice was not a disagreeable one, not at all the sort of voice which one would have expected from a person of his appearance. He spoke, too, like an educated man, with, however, a strenuous something in his tone which suggested, in some occult fashion, the bitterness of a wild despair. Seeing that he remained unanswered, he spoke again. "'What's more, if there's a cool hand, it's Mr. Graham, it isn't me. I am a poor, starving, police-ridden devil, being hounded to hell full pelt by a hundred other devils.' "'But, Bruce Graham, what are you?' They turned to the man who was thus addressed. At the moment of interruption he had been levering a strip of wainscot from its place with the aid of the inserted chisel. He still kept one hand upon the handle, holding the hammer with the other, while he drew his body back against the wall as close as it would go, and with pallid cheeks and startled eyes he stared at the intruder as if he had been some straggler from the spiritual world. From between his lips, which seemed to tremble, there came a single word. Ballingall. Yes, Ballingall, that's my name. And what's yours, curhound? Thief? By God, there have been people I've used badly enough in my time, but none worse than you've used me. You are mistaken. Am I? It looks like it. What are you doing here? You know what I'm doing. "'By God, I do. You're right there. And it's because you know I know that although you're twice my size and have got all the respectability and law of England at your back, you stand there shivering and shaking, afraid for your life at the sight of me.' 
I am not afraid of you. I repeat that you are mistaken. And I say you lie. You are afraid of me, penniless, shoeless, hungry beggar though I am. Your face betrays you. Look at him. Isn't there cowardice writ large? The man stretched out his arm, pointing to Graham with a dramatic gesture which certainly did not tend to increase that gentleman's appearance of ease. Do you think I didn't see you the other day, knowing that the time was due for me to come out of jail, trying to screw your courage to the striking point to play the traitor? How at the sight of me the blood turned to water in your veins? Deny it. Lie if you can. I do not wish to deny it, nor do I propose to lie. I repeat for the third time that in the conclusions you draw you are mistaken. Miss Brodie, this is the person of whom I was telling you. Charles Ballingall. So you've told them of me, have you? And a pretty yarn you've spun, I bet my boots. Yes, madam, I am Charles Ballingall, lately out of Wandsworth Prison, sent there for committing burglary at this very place. My God, yes, this house of haunting memories of a thousand ghosts. I only came out the day before yesterday, and that same night I committed burglary again, here, and now I'm at it for the third time, driven to it, by a ghost. And my God, he's behind me now. A sudden curious change took place in the expression of the fellow's countenance. Partially withdrawing his head, he turned and looked behind him, as if constrained to the action against his will. His voice shrank to a hoarse whisper. "'Is that you, Tom Ossington?' None replied. Madge moved forward quite calm, and in her own peculiar fashion, stately, though she was a little white about the lips, and there was an odd something in her eyes. "'I think you had better come inside, and, if convenient, please moderate your language.' At the sound of her voice the man turned again and stared. "'I beg your pardon. Were you speaking to me?' I was and am. Mr. Graham has spoken to me of you, and I am quite certain that in doing so he has told us nothing but the exact and literal truth. In the light of what he has said, I know that I am giving expression to our common feeling in saying that we shall feel obliged to you if you will come in. The man hesitated, fumbling with his hands as if nonplussed. It is a good many years since I was spoken to like that. Possibly it's a good many years since you deserve to be spoken to like that. As a rule, that sort of speech is addressed to us to which we are entitled. That's true. By God it is. I believe I asked you to moderate your language. I beg your pardon, but it's a habit of some standing. Then if that is the case, probably the time has come that it should die. Please let it die, if for this occasion only. Must I repeat my invitation and press you to enter, in face of the eagerness to effect an entrance which it seems you have already shown? Mr. Ballingall continued to exhibit signs of indecision. This isn't a trap or anything of that kind. I am afraid I hardly understand you. What do you mean by a trap? Well, his lips were distorted by what was possibly meant for a grin. It doesn't want much understanding when you come to think of it. We ask you to come in. 
if you accept our invitation you will of course be at liberty to go again whenever you please we certainly shall make no effort to detain you for any cause whatever well if that's the case it's a queer start by he seemed about to utter his accustomed imprecation then catching her eyes refrained adding in a different tone i think i will he did passing first one leg over the sill and then the other when the whole of his body was in the room he removed his hat an action affecting a distinct improvement in his appearance the departure of the disreputable billycock disclosed the fact that his head was not by any means ill-shaped one perceived that this had once been an intelligent man whose intelligence was very far from being altogether a thing of the past more it suggested the possibility of his having been good-looking nor did it need a keen observer to suspect that if he was shaven and shorn combed and groomed and his rags were exchanged for decent raiment that there was still enough of manliness about him to render him sufficiently presentable he was not yet of the hopelessly submerged although just then he could scarcely have appeared to greater disadvantage his clothes were the scourings of the ragman's bag ill-fitting torn muddy his boots were odd ones whose gaping apertures revealed the sockless feet within in his whole bearing there was that indefinable furtive something which is the hallmark of the wretch who hopes for nothing but an opportunity to snatch the wherewithal to stay the cravings of his belly and who sees an enemy even in the creature who flings to him a careless dole this atmosphere which was about him of the outcast and the pariah was heightened by the obvious fact that at that very moment he was hungry hideously hungry his eyes now that they were more clearly seen were wolfish in their haste to begin their treasure hunting they had not even waited to take away the tea things the man's glances were fastened on the fragments of food which were on the table as if it was only by an effort of will that he was able to keep himself from pouncing on them like some famished animal madge perceived the looks of longing we are just going to have supper you must join us then we can talk while we are eating ella help me get it ready sit down mr ballingall i dare say you are tired and perhaps you had better close the window ella and i shall not be long they made a curious trio the three men while the two girls made ready ballingall closed the window with an air half sheepish half defiant then placed himself upon a seat in bolt upright fashion as if doubtful of the chair's solidity jack took up a position in the centre of the hearth-rug so evidently at a loss for something appropriate to say as to make his incapacity almost pathetic apparently the unusual character of the situation had tied his tongue into a double knot graham's attitude was more complex the portion of the wainscot which he had undertaken to displace not having been entirely removed resuming his unfinished task he continued to wrench the boards from their fastenings as if intentionally oblivious of the new arrival's presence nor was the meal which followed of a familiar type the resources of the larder were not manifold but all that it contained was placed upon the table the pièce de résistance consisted of six boiled eggs if you boil all those eggs ella declared when madge laid on them a predatory hand there'll be nothing left in the house for breakfast 
the man is famished retorted madge with some inconsequence what does breakfast matter to us if the man is starving so the six were boiled and he ate them all indeed he ate all there was to eat devoured would have been the more appropriate word for he attacked his food with a veracity which it was not nice to witness bolting it with a complete disregard to rules which suggest the advisability of preliminary mastication it was not until his wolf-like appetite was at least somewhat appeased by the consumption of nearly all the food that was on the table that madge approached the subject which was uppermost in all their thoughts as i was saying mr ballingall mr graham has told us of all that passed between you at that moment he had a piece of bread in one hand and some cheese in the other all the cheese that was left the satisfaction of his appetite seemed to have increased his ferocity cramming both morsels into his mouth at once he turned on her with a sort of half-choked snarl then what right had he to do that it seems to me that he had a good deal of right how who's he a lawyer out of a job who comes and offers me his services i'm his client and as his client i give him my confidence looking at it from the professional point of view only what right has he to pass my confidence on to any one any one he's been guilty of a dirty and disgraceful action and he knows it he snarled across the board at graham if i were to report him to the law society they'd take him off the rolls i question it madge's tone was dry you may question it but i know what i'm talking about what use does he make of the confidence which he worms out of me i wormed nothing out of you the interruption was graham's whatever you said to me was said spontaneously without the slightest prompting on my part what difference does that make then what use does he make of what i said spontaneously he knows that i'm a poor driven devil charged with a crime which i never committed i explained to him how it happened that that crime comes to be laid against me how i've been told that there's money waiting for me in a certain place which is mine for the fetching and how when i went to fetch it i was snapped for burglary i'm found guilty of what i never did and i get twelve months in this country law and justice are two different things what does my lawyer my own lawyer who pressed on me as services mind do while i'm in prison for what i never did he takes advantage of my confidence and without a word to me or a hint of any sort he goes and looks for my money my money mind on his own account and for all i know he's got it in his pocket now that he certainly has not this was madge then it isn't his fault if he hasn't can you think of anything dirtier not to speak of more unprofessional why one thief wouldn't behave to another thief like that not if he was a touch above the carrion here have i an innocent man been rotting in jail think think thinking of what i'd do with the money when i did come out and here was the man who ought to have been above suspicion and whom i thought was above suspicion plotting and planning all the time how he could rob me of what he very well knew was the only thing which could save me from the outer darkness of hell and of despair graham motioned madge to silence one moment miss brodie 
you must not suppose mr ballingall that because i suffer you to make your sweeping charges against me without interruption that i admit their truth or the justice of the epithets which you permit yourself to apply to me on the contrary i assert that your statements are for the most part wholly unjustifiable and that where they appear to have some measure of justification they are easily capable of complete explanation whatever you may continue to say i shall decline to argue with you here if you will come to my rooms i will give you every explanation you can possibly desire yes i dare say and take the earliest opportunity of handing me over to the first convenient copper unless i'm mistaken that's the kind of man you are madge caught the speaker by the sleeve of his ragged coat with a glance at graham whose countenance had grown ominously black if you will take my advice mr ballingall since it is plain that you know nothing of the mind of man mr graham really is instead of continuing to talk in that extremely foolish fashion you will listen to what i have to say the night before last we were the victims of an attempted burglary i did it you know i did it i give myself away if there's any giving about it you can whistle for a constable and give me into the charge right off i'm willing perhaps it'll turn out to be the same bobby i handled before and then he'll be happier than ever i am sorry to learn that you were the burglar very sorry my friend miss duncan and i were alone in the house a fact of which you were probably aware that mr ballingall might still be possessed of some remnants of saving grace was suggested by the fact that at this point he winced other considerations aside it was hardly a heroic action to break at dead of night into a lonely cottage whose only inmates were a couple of unprotected girls there was a revolver fired as you say there was a revolver fired by me at the ceiling does that tend to strengthen the evidence which goes to show that the deed on your part was a courageous one i never said that it was you are perfectly conscious that we shall not whistle for a policeman and that we shall not give you into charge is it necessary for you to talk as if you thought we should am i to be robbed i fancy that the robbing has not been all upon one side mr ballingall did not look happier the burglar left behind him a scrap of paper oh i did did i i wondered where it was at present it is in the possession of the police the devil you need not be alarmed mr ballingall had suddenly risen as if disturbed by some reflection that was before we knew by whom we had been favored now that we do know the paper will not be used in evidence against you nor the police either before handing over that scrap of paper we took a copy of the writing which was on it that writing was a key to two secret hiding places which are contained within this house how do you know that by exercising a little of my elementary common sense observe mr ballingall rising from her seat she crossed to the door on that paper which you were so good as to leave behind you it was written right i stand on the right of the door straight across i walk straight across the room three i measure three feet horizontally four and four feet perpendicularly up i push the panel up 
it opens and i find that there is something within that mr ballingall is how i know the paper was a guide to two secret hiding-places by discovering the first what is the matter with the man has he gone mad the question which was asked with a sudden and striking change of tone was induced by the singularity of mr ballingall's demeanour he had started when madge took up her position at the door eyeing her following evolution speechlessly breathlessly as if spellbound her slightest movement seemed to possess for him some curious fascination as she proceeded his agitation increased every nerve seemed strained so that he might not lose the smallest detail of all that happened until when with dramatic gestures she imitated the action of striking the panel raising it and taking out something which was contained within he broke into cry after cry my god my god my god he repeated over and over again covering his face with his hands as if he strove to guard his eyes against some terrible vision he crouched in a sort of heap on the floor End of chapter fourteen